This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for a free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses Season 5, Episode 26, Scared for the Characters. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And we have special guest star, Sherilyn Kenyon. Say hello. Hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm not that interesting either. So. Well, what do you write? <laughs> <laughs> I write some of everything. I do urban fantasy. I do horror. I do science fiction. I do paranormal. You name it. I'm probably there. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Dan was so excited to have someone else on the podcast <laughs> who writes horror. horror. <laughs> um, and on one of your mini hats is a horror writer. And so Dan suggested we do a horror-themed podcast. So we're yes. going to talk about how to make you genuinely, as a reader, how to make your readers genuinely scared for your characters and um, evoke that sense of fear. So how do you, how do you go about doing this? Um, we'll start with you, Dan. Well, how, with the, the great Stephen King quote that I love uh, is that you, the, the way you make the, the reader scared is that you take the character they love the most and then put them through the burner. Okay. And so the trick is, how do you get them to love that character first? Okay. You know, really make them care about that character, which will make them later on scared when something bad happens for them. Sherry, do you have any advice for people making... I think one of the hardest things is making them to where they seem like they're their best friends. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I specialize on are characters that are not really sympathetic or nice in the beginning. Okay. And what I like to do is I show enough of the backstory or I show them uh, one of the characters that I have who, when he's first introduced, is like Satan incarnate. He is probably, this is a guy who's been around for 2,000 years. He's an angry immortal. He hates the entire world. And after you have seen him at his absolute worst, there's a scene where he's uh, in a mall and there's a two-year-old boy who's lost. And one of the things that the character does is he has these silver claws over one hand. And that, he lo- that is how brutal he is killing his enemies, is he loves to feel the blood go through his fingers. What he does is when this little boy who's lost comes up to him, he tucks it into his pocket and he looks at the little kid and he goes, I'll help you find your mom. Uh-huh. And in that one moment, you find that he's not a total animal. There is a sense of humanity about him. Okay. That's really actually gutsy of you to start that way. I mean, I know a lot of newer writers who try to start their books with unsympathetic characters and it usually crashes and burns. Um, how do you make it work? How do you start with an unsympathetic This is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm really curious. I, I don't know. I just do. <laughs> um, I, it's one of those things. I, I, hmm. well, I you, Sherilyn, you, you explained it to us just now. You, you established the character's background in such a way that we are scared of him instead of possibly ever being scared for him. And then we have a moment in which we reveal that he has a human attribute to which we can all identify. Because we've all been that guy walking through the shopping mall uh, who sees a lost child and says, I should... I need to help that child because nobody else is. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so we can all identify with that. Um, one of the tricks that I use in the Serial Killer series, which has a on the surface a very unsympathetic character, and yet yeah. people like him in part because he's funny. Mm. He has a sense of humor. Even when he's talking about horrible, dark things, he'll make you laugh about it. And when someone can make you laugh, you like them instantly. It's just a mm-hmm. human instinct. And so using humor for that. Another trick that I use is to give him a bad life, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because then you feel sorry for him. Um, even while he's doing something awful, right. you feel bad for him because, you know, he doesn't have a dad. 
Um, yeah. The other thing I've seen done very effectively with a character who's more unsympathetic at the beginning that you make them care, you care about them, um, is to make them extremely capable. Exactly. Um, capable mm -hmm. characters are interesting to us. Mm -hmm. And even if they're capable about something terrible, like the best executioner in the world, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's an interesting character. Right. Even if they are not sympathetic at all at the beginning, yeah, uh, Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott yeah. Lynch. It yeah. takes forever for you to really see good human qualities in that main character, but you like him right off the bat because he's just such a good liar. Well, Jeff Lindsay with Dexter. Uh huh. I yeah. mean, oh mm -hmm. my God, to have had that concept. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so how do you make that transition to making people afraid for them? You have. Um, you're, you're talking about this character who's just, you know, you said de evil incarnate or maybe death incarnate. He's mm -hmm. awesome. He's, we've got these really capable, I mean, John is an extremely capable character in your books. Mm -hmm. How do you then make readers afraid for them if they're that capable? Um, you give them a na the nastier you can get, like Stephen <laughs> King said, man, you run them through the ringer. You give them an opponent who's equally as motivated, who has a slight edge in powers. Okay. Okay, Dan? Well, the... Again, I, I talk about these as tricks. Uh, with John in my series, you are never really afraid that he's going to die or get hurt. You're, af you're afraid that he's going to become the bad guy. Okay. And so then it actually creates a lot of fear because you don't want him to. You, you, you like him enough that you want him to stay good, and you don't want him to fall off the edge and start becoming a killer. Yeah, I'd say I do that with my character, Nick. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, which is, which is a really good idea. It's a good thing to do because, you know, he's the main character. We know mm -hmm. he's not going to die. And so finding something else to make the reader afraid of can work really well. Why is that making people afraid? I want to kind of try to break down this concept of, of, of fear in books. Why do you think that is actually making people afraid? Well, in the case of a protagonist, and especially a first-person protagonist, it's because of how much you come to identify with a person. Mm -hmm. You're living inside of their head. Even third-person limited perspective, you're just right down there with them. You're seeing things through their eyes, and you come to identify with them. So in some sense, it's almost like if that person does something wrong, then I'm doing something wrong, and I don't want that to happen. I think another way to look at this, or another way to consider the answer to the question, is to look at when it fails, mm -hmm. uh, when it doesn't work. Okay. If you have a protagonist, a main character, or you know w whatever, who you are supposed to be caring about, you're supposed to be scared for and worried for, and you and you are therefore supposed to be identifying with them, and they do something that according to their character as you understand it, it is unjustified. Mm -hmm. It's driven by the needs of the plot instead of driven by that character. You will stop identifying with them. Yeah. And, and in fact, when I see this in movies or when I read it in books and I stop identifying with a character, suddenly the first thing I think is, oh, I hope he dies. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this is the one they kill because uh, this guy doesn't read right. You know, I've got a, mm -hmm. a slightly different... Um, Example to share, um, but this the, talking about being scared for characters um, done very well and maybe not done as well. I think of um, actually the James Bond films. Um, you know, they did that transition to Daniel Craig um, from um, Pierce, Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan, and always before Pierce Brosnan was James Bond, I always kept thinking, oh, he'd make the perfect James Bond. He would be the ideal perfect James Bond. And then he came along, and sure, those movies were fun, but I never was afraid for James Bond. I never, never mm -hmm. had even an ounce of fear and I just got in, under the assumption of you know something was just not feeling right to me with these films and then they filmed the Daniel Craig ones and if you've seen those he is 
James Bond. He is still the confident James Bond. But man, he's put through the meat grinder through the course of those films. And by the end of the film, I'm just loving this character. And I really do believe that he'll crack and break. And that, you know, my, my sen- um, suspension of disbelief, they get me to do it. They get me to suspend disbelief on James Bond, who, of mm-hmm. course, nothing can ever really go wrong for James Bond. You know that. It's been 50 years and nothing's ever gone wrong for James Bond. And yet, they did it. And the way they did it is what you've been saying, Dan, is they just put him through the ringer and emotionally and physically. And you thought by the end he was going to crack, and he kind of did. Yeah. Uh, let's stop for our book of the week. Um, Sherry, why don't you tell us about um, the Dark Hunter series? Uh, the Dark Hunters are vampires. They were published before you could call a book vampires. My vampires are called daemons because back in the day, if you, unlike yeah. now, if you had that in, word in there, it would automatically be rejected. The thing that makes it a little different from the typical of the genre is that my vampires only live to be 27. The god Apollo ended up cursing an entire race of beings uh, from Atlanta. What they did is they killed his child and his mistress when she was 27 years old. So his curse is that they cannot come out in daylight because he's God of the sun. And they only live to be 27 years old, so they have to take human souls to live longer. Hmm. And since his sister's Artemis, goddess of the hunt, she created a race of immortal vampire or immortal demon slayers who got after them. And huh. that's the Dark Hunters. Okay. Interesting. Well, not familiar with it, but that's the most interesting vampire mythos I think I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. What is the first book in the series? Uh, The first one's called Night Pleasures. And the newest one? No Mercy. Okay. And you can go to audible.com or audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Uh, You can download a free copy of one of Sherry's books in the Dark Hunter series and start your 14-day free trial at audible.com. So details are on the Writing Excuses website. Um, All right, Dan, I'm going to throw a kind of harder question at you. Awesome. um, Because we did want this to be a horror podcast. And so far, we've talked mostly about fear and suspense. But let me ask you what the difference is. What is the difference between me being afraid for Daniel Craig or, you know, James Bond and the James Bond show and true horror? What is that line? And what is the difference? What advice can you give to writers who actually want to be doing the horror rather than just being afraid for a character? Okay. Okay. The difference is that James Bond has a gun and combat training. Okay. Whereas the protagonist of most horror stories is just the guy next door or the girl next door. You know, someone who doesn't know how to fight these monsters and does is is in way over their head. And uh, if as soon as the bad guys get close enough, they're dead. You know, they're gone. Um, And so I think that level of incompetence helps a lot. Your character still has to be competent in other areas, but if that level of competence comes in the area of combat, it's not a horror story anymore maybe because... It, maybe call it power imbalance. Back. Yeah. Okay, power imbalance. That's a good way of putting it. John, as a character, um, he is not a fighter. If it came down to a one-on-one fist fight between him and any of the monsters in the books, he would go down in seconds. And so it becomes instead a cat and mouse game because that's something he can control. And he always has to keep it at arm's length. He always has to stay hidden. And if that slips at any point, it's all over. Sherry, do you have anything to add there? See, I like it where they are, like in the case Mm -hmm. of... I'll I'll pick on Hollywood for a minute because 
people are so much more familiar with that. Yep. Um, predators, yeah. where you have that entire group. I, I, mm -hmm. I love that when it's not an imbalance of power. Those are always my favorite. Into the Lost Boys, where Grandpa mm -hmm. comes in and kills them and goes, damn vampires. <laughs> I find that those just to me, th well, that's you know, there was really... There was a power imbalance in Predators, though, because the, the soldiers a lot stronger. had no idea what was going on. Exactly. Well, that's mm -hmm. true, okay, there's but they were trained. There's an information imbalance. Yeah. That's what, yeah. Yeah. Knowledge is power, and right. knowing is half well, the battle. That's true. I'm going to throw this back at Dan. By your description, The Hobbit should be a horror novel. And it's that, not. I suppose that's true. So there's yeah. got to be something else because Frodo and Bilbo, neither one of them have any battle training. They are thrown up against monsters. Gandalf went away in both The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and they were left on their own, and mm -hmm. it was not a horror. So what is it that, that's making it the horror? I like, I, the thing that I think, to me, that's really cool is, like in Stephen King, Kuja, where you take mm -hmm. something that should not be fearful and mm. you turn it into that, something. That's a big one. Yeah, my yeah, I always default back to my parents. My father was a drill sergeant who did five tours of duty in wartime, and my dad used to joke about the most frightening thing in the world is to face is your mother when she's angry. Mm. And my mother was a <laughs> tiny little five foot two woman, looked like Jackie Onassis dressed in pink. And she really was. I mean, I always tell people my dad was my sympathetic parent. So <laughs> wow. I, I love when you find horror in, where you don't expect that, that, it. That, that's a really good point. And that is a big part of, I think, why zombies are coming back mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Because it's something that should be innocuous. It's mm -hmm. your mom or your daughter or your next door neighbor who is now a monster for reasons you can't understand. And that kind of horror out of banality mm -hmm. really it, it makes you scared. It seems like that's a running for a lot of horror. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of horror, honestly, we, we think of the genre as being kind of a modern-day genre, and mm -hmm. it's, that's the reason. You can do horror in any setting, but once you change the setting, we don't think of it as horror because it lacks that everyday person next door kind of quality. Well, the oh, thing, you know, that? vampires, when they started, that was the whole thing. They're family members coming back to prey on the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and wasn't that the... Uh, uh, after fashion, the original uh, Dracula, mm -hmm. um, he's an ordinary sort of rich and powerful noble who happens to be undead and has mind control powers and you're in his house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, um, since we're on the topic of horror, and we're strange just a little bit, but I did want to bring this out. A lot of people have misconceptions about the, the term horror. In fact, um, Sherry brought it up here. There was a time when you couldn't sell a vampire book because mm -hmm. vampires were gone. The horror sections vanished, um, and they all got the, the horror stories were still written. They just got hidden in other genres. They went either to thrillers yeah. or they went to, to fantasy. What, what happened there, do you think? Why? It, well, in terms of things like that, it's all marketing. For mm -hmm. the, the publishers are the ones who determine where a book's placed. And they tend to, you know, for whatever reason, they decide something's no longer in favor. Like, yeah. the vampire novels were really popular in the early 90s. Yep. And then right about the time Buffy took off, the yeah. genre... You couldn't mm -hmm. sell it in fiction for anything unless you were Anne Rice. Right. And you know, there was a whole slew of us who lost their contracts and were sent adrift. And we had to wait you know, another five years before the, the genre came back. Mm -hmm. So. Do you think that, um, I, I still think that a lot of the um, public has a misperception of what horror is. Mm -hmm. um, when I talk about H.P. Lovecraft, which I think mm -hmm. is you know, genuine oh, yeah. horror, and you say this is horror, they think Friday the 13th. Right. Um, and I wonder if that had something to do with it. What is the difference, Dan, between horror and something like Friday the 13th? Well, it's, like you say, a lot of it comes down to audience perception. Mm -hmm. And you can try this experiment, go and ask somebody 
what horror is, and their first two reactions, unless they are already a reader of the genre, mm-hmm. they're going to say slasher movie, yeah. or they're going to say 1970s Stephen King era kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know, a house full of demons or something along those lines. Um, and that's not what horror is anymore. That's not what people are writing. That's not what people want to read. But that's still what everyone thinks. Yeah. That's why Barnes & Noble doesn't even have a horror section in their store. Um, because the word itself is turning people off. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is very And so now, now, what was your question that I just I, didn't answer? I think you, you, I think <laughs> yeah. you did answer it. And I, I should say, I, you know, from what I've seen, some of the, those original classics, even Friday the 13th, were very horrifying. I should yeah. have said the difference between a true horror novel and, like, Friday the 13th, 14, um, <laughs> slash fest galore or whatever. But anyway, we're out of time. Um, I want to thank Sherry very much for appearing on the podcast with us. Um, Howard, you haven't done a writing prompt for us yet. Um, I have not done a writing prompt for you yet. Um, okay, horror, uh, and you, you mentioned you mentioned Love, Lovecraft, which uh-huh. is at this point uh, public domain um, to an extent, right? Yes, um, yeah. Let's just okay. pretend it is. <laughs> no, okay. no, it is. My agent actually represents one of the Lovecraft estates, but he even he says, okay. "Yeah, we're not sure if this is even valid." So you can okay. go ahead. Okay, <laughs> take take Should a love take public? a Lovecraftian beastie, Lovecraftian mm-hmm. beastie, and shove him into the Shire. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Frodo versus Cthulhu. I like there you it. Go. Um, this has been Ryan Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go right. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 